0: Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. God put together this particular passage, we're only going to cover one verse, but it's so immense, it's so important in the life of the church, and therefore your life individually as a Christian, I feel like you need this message, because I did, in one complete piece, one piece that you can look at that should change your worship of God should change your relationship with those around you and should change your view of who you are in Christ. It's important enough, I think, that Paul has put an exclamation point in this particular book of Ephesians whenever he rolled into this very first verse of the fourth chapter. So if you found the fourth uh, chapter of the book of Ephesians, if you'd be so kind as to stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word. We'll read those first few verses and we'll See if we can't get the message out of that first verse this morning. It says this in the very first verse I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, enduring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, there is one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. God, this morning we have read your word. I ask that you do this now, that you focus our attention upon. You You keep me, Father, focused on the message that you have given me this morning, that you work hastily through this message, but that you work in such a way that it grips our heart. This morning, Father, let us be different when we leave this place. Let us not make this another checklist, another box that we check off that we've come to church and we've therefore done our duty to you by showing up. Let us this morning seek to be different. For you call us to be more like your son Jesus. The only way to be more like your son Jesus is to be worthy of that calling calling that he put the stamp of approval on with his death, burial, and resurrection. So today you make very little of me, very much of you, and may we honor and glorify you through this time together. This we pray in the name of your precious son and our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen. amen. Chapter four starts off talking to us about the walk, and if you've been with us the last few weeks, You've realized to look at that walk, we went back to Psalms chapter 1, Psalm chapter 1, and we looked at that walk, and if you remember what Psalm chapter 1 told us, it told us where we were to walk and where we were not to walk. We were to not hang out with the sinners, we were to walk in righteousness. It told us how we are to walk and the results. It said that if we stayed focused on the word, the result of that is we would be like a tree planted by the waters. Our fruit would be good, our leaves would never, never wither. It said that the ungodly walked different than us, if you remember. And because of that difference in the walk, they would not be part of the congregation. They would not stand before Jesus at the judgment. They would kneel at his feet and be judged for what they did with this Jesus. It goes on to say that the Lord knows the way of the righteous. And he also knows that the ungodly will perish. So Paul starts off this fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians chapter that starts the separation between the doctrine of what it means to be a Christian and what God's done for you and then the practice of, of putting that doctrine into action in this, this particular hinge point, this first verse here, he steps in and he says there's going to be this walk. And Paul actually gives us four characteristics in this very first verse. Four characteristics in the very first ber- verse that are associated with our calling, that that give us this calling, and it's associated with that walk that we're to have. And we're going to try to get all four of those those points in this morning. And I find it very interesting that he starts off, and the smallest of words are used in the greatest of importance within this very first verse. And he starts off and tells us that, that this calling that he's talking about is a very logical call. He tells us that when he uses the one word at the very beginning of this verse, it says, Therefore. I've told you a dozen times. Any time you see the word "therefore," you stop and ask yourself, "What is therefore?" There therefore, therefore is there to connect the first three verses or first three chapters to the next three chapters of the book of Ephesians. He's given us this whole doctrinal uh, outlook, this whole doctrine of who God is in the first three chapters. Very briefly, he told us that they were, that we were redeemed of Christ, that we were chosen by God before the foundation of the world, that our forgiveness of our sins came through the blood that flowed from Jesus' body, that we're forgiving. And, and, and that we're given the riches according to uh, His grace. That by grace you've been saved through faith, not that of yourself, not of any works that you have done. That he's told us that there's not enough work that we could do to save ourselves. He's told us that Jesus has given us peace with God. Him coming and dying for our sins has given us peace with God. He's told us that we are fellow citizens of the household of God. We're no longer strangers. We're no longer outside. We're part of that household. He's gone on to say that we are the church, and the church's purpose is to glorify God. Three chapters, he's gone through that in great detail. Now Paul is going to tell us how we're going to live that out. He says, therefore, or you could say with that in mind would be another way to say it, it is our duty to live differently. Our life should look different than it did before we met Jesus. Our life should look different from those that are ungodly. There should be a difference in us that can be seen visibly. And Paul's going to go on to tell us that. He says, Because of our position in Christ, the doctrine, because of our position in Christ, our behavior should change. He says, Because of the principle of God's saving grace, our practice should become holy. Our life should become holy. To Paul, the call that came from God out of that doctrine was very logical. And it should be to us. We should look at those first three chapters of Ephesians and say logically by what Paul was telling us from God, logically, it should call us to be different. Sadly enough, in our church, there's no longer a call to be different. There's a call to be inclusive. There's a call to make the inside of our church look welcoming to those on the outside of our church. It's not what Paul tells us. Paul says we're to be different. In fact, he tells us we're to be so different that the world notices. Is our church logically different? following the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. Logically, when people see our doctrine, or they see in those first three chapters, because when people see how you live, they're seeing your doctrine. They're seeing what you believe. You can't hide it. You can't be in a closet and believe one thing and live a different way and the world see what's in the closet. The world's going to see how you live. And what Paul's saying here is that this calling is very logical. For us, with the brains that God has given us, we do about everything we do from a logical standpoint. We understand that we've been given the, the wisdom, the knowledge, to be able to take things and make things out of it, or take things apart and fix it and put it back together, or work a job and, and take a problem and come to a resolution, and we do that logically. Yet when we come to the Bible, we read it and we say, Yeah, Paul, there's three chapters there. I agree with you. That's great. And we walk away unchanged. The most unlogical thing that you could do is listen to what God has done for you and walk away the same. To listen to how God sent His only begotten Son from the portals of heaven to die for you, a sorry sinner such as I, And to walk away and go, I hear you, but I'm not going to change. That's unlogical. What Paul's saying here is, how can you listen to three chapters? How can you listen to all this? How can you know how much God loved you? And not apply it. It's that thing, if you want to drive yourself crazy, do tomorrow the same thing that you do today and expect a different outcome. Because if you do the same thing over and over, you're going to get the same outcome. If you do it the same way, you're going to get the same results. The only way to get the other results is to do things different. And what Paul said is he said, I'm going to lay it out for you. For three chapters, I'm going to tell you everything that God did for you. And then he comes in here and says, therefore, now that you know that, now that we agree this is what God's done, things have got to change. So that calling is logical. But you know, not only is that calling logical for Paul, the second point, the second thing is that calling is a living call. And it's interesting because many of us want to talk about God. We want to talk about what God's done. We want to talk about what God has told us to do, but we refuse to do it. <laughs> we, we know what he said. We know that we're supposed to love people of all race and all color. Yet when I look around, it doesn't show. We know that we're supposed to love those who don't love us. We're supposed to take in and and share the gospel to those who live ungodly. Yet when I look around, I don't see where we've drug anybody into church, invited anybody into church that doesn't look just like us. We walk through the world and see those that are lost, and because they look so lost, we leave them lost. But Paul said here that this calling is not only a logical call, but it's a living call that has to show up in your life. How does he tell us that? He uses this phrase that he used back in chapter 3. He says, I, the prisoner of the Lord. If you remember, whenever we were back in chapter 3, we talked about that prisoner. He said in chapter 3 that he was not a prisoner of the Jews who were against him, He was not a prisoner of the Romans who were locking him up and beating him. He was not even a prisoner of those crazy, ridiculous ideas that he had instead of listening to God, like going to a town that he knew that he would be beaten and imprisoned in. He chose to go when God wasn't telling him, but he knew that wasn't what had him in prison. What Paul realized put him in prison was Jesus. What he realized that his prison experience was all about Jesus. And that's why he says prisoner of the Lord. See, Paul considered himself this prisoner of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. He had been taken hostage by the gospel. If you remember over in Philippians, Philippians chapter 3... Philippians chapter 3. We're going to hustle through the Bible today, so I hope you got your fingers warmed up. But Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, it says this. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. See, when Paul thought about salvation, Paul didn't think about finding this Jesus. He didn't think about going out and saying, you know what, I'm going to find this Jesus I got news for you, church. Jesus ain't lost. You're not looking for Jesus. Jesus is looking for you. See, when you were found, it wasn't because you wanted Jesus. It was because Jesus wanted you. What Paul realized is his salvation didn't come from his desire to be with God. His salvation came from God's desire for him to be in his presence. Jesus laid hold of Paul. And Paul never forgot it. Paul said, though I'm locked up in prison, though I'm beaten, though I've practically been murdered, I'm here because Jesus laid a hold of me. See, when you look at your walk that way, the world ain't so bad. You see, Paul realized that he was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And he said that there in Philippians chapter 3. Paul knew that this call from God, this holding on, this, this latching on that Jesus had done to his life should lead him to a life that glorifies God. If you look with him back at 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26, it says this, For you see your calling, brethren, not that many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world. That's where an amen should jump in. Because if there's one thing that I could say about my life before Christ showed up, it was foolish. And it says, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame those that are wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him you are in Christ, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. You see, if you truly understand that Jesus has laid hold of you, then all that happens in your life should be to glorify him and Paul understood that this this calling was a living uh calling that that should cause your life to show glory he also understood that the call of God was costly you see we as Christians sometimes want all that God has but we don't want to have to pay anything for it we want all the blessings of God and none of the struggle we want all of God's good And none of this world's bad. We want to breeze through this world as if nothing can touch us. It's not what the Bible says. If you've been with us on Wednesday nights, I think you're coming to understand that my whole perception of how you're saved and what you're saved into is a little different than what You've probably been taught over the course of your life. I happened to ask a bunch on Wednesday night. I said, when's the last time you shared the gospel? And you sat down with a person and said, hey, let me tell you about this Jesus. And if you agree to accept, there's a good chance you're going to be beaten in prison and maybe shot to death. You want in? Because that's the gospel. The gospel in all reality is a call to a fight. You're a part of an army. And the army is outnumbered in this world, it seems like, at times. There are those that are completely against you. And Paul understood the fact that it didn't change the message. It didn't change the one the message was about. And it didn't change the messenger. If your call was a living call, your life, no matter the circumstances around you, would remain in Christ. And he said there that it is is this call that could be very costly. Second Corinthians, matter of fact, says it as plainly as it can be said, I believe. Second Corinthians chapter 11 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 22 says this, Are they Hebrews? He says, so am I. Are they Israelites? <laughs> Guess what? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? Yep, I am too. Are they ministers of Christ? He says, I'm going to speak as a fool. <laughs> I'm even more. He says, in labors I'm more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prison more frequently, in deaths often, From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often. In perils of water. In perils of robbers. In perils of my own countrymen. In perils of the Gentiles. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea. In perils among false brethren. In weariness and toil. In sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. You got anything to complain about, Christian? Did you see the list? One guy, this is his list. He goes on to say, besides the other thing, what comes upon me daily? What comes upon him daily? My deep concern for all the churches. He puts in the list of the things that are challenges for him, like being beaten, stoned, imprisoned, his concern for the churches. He says, it comes upon me daily. He's concerned for the churches. Verse 29, who is weak? And I'm not weak. Who is made to stumble? And I do not burn with indignation. He goes on to say, if I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, was guarding the city of uh, Damascene's and the garrison, desiring to arrest me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. He said, you want to know the price of Jesus laying a hold of you? There's the price. There's the cost. Yet we complain when the air condition's not right. We complain when it rains because it's tough to get to church. We complain because it's 20 degrees outside. You're a little uncomfortable between your nice heated car and the doors back here when you get into a heated building. Yet Paul said, I was practically beat to death and thrown in prison. And it means nothing to me. It means nothing to me because my life is Christ. See, Paul expected that the call of God would lead to this consecrated life. This consecrated life over in Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. Verse 27, it says this, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by the adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation. And that is from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. See, Paul says that you're going to live this consecrated life if you truly have been taken a hold of by Christ. He goes on to tell us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 14, he says this. For the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ compels us. Because we judge thus. That if one died for all, then all have died. If one died for all, then all have died. What is the explanation of that in verse 15? And he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Do you look at the grasp of Christ upon you as his dying for you, therefore you're dead? Have you ever thought that what Christ did when he died caused you to die? And you no longer live for you, you live for the one who died in your place. See, we as Christians so often want that salvation from Jesus, but we want it our way. You can't do that. See, for Jesus to be your Savior, he must also be your Lord. And if he is your Lord, he controls all things in your life. If there's anything that hasn't been put under the control of Jesus, you're sinning. You need to repent. You need to repent and ask God to bring that thing under the umbrella of God's precious love for you and His Son, Jesus Christ. Maybe it's outside of Jesus because you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior. Maybe you could recite all three chapters of Ephesians where we've already been, but you've never placed it in your heart because you've never had Jesus take a hold of your life. You see, Paul said that this calling was a living call. It's not a Sunday call. It's a living call. It's not a once-a-week call. Thing. it's not an every now and then thing it's a living call every breath he took every action he did every word he said every place he went was all about Jesus you say yes but I work a full time job and I've got kids to take care of and I've got these responsibilities and those all those things should be all about Jesus you having problems at work it's because it's not all about Jesus you having problems in your home life it's because you hadn't invited Jesus in You see, Jesus has got to be a part of everything or he's going to be a part of nothing. See, we so often want that blessed touch of Christ upon our life when things are bad. Yet we want to put him in the closet when we think we can handle it. News for you, you can never handle it. See, this life requires a mighty Savior. That's why God sent his only begotten Son to die on your behalf. But see, Paul says that we should live this life as if we're dead, and Christ is living in our body. Because that's what happened when he became your Lord and Savior. He even tells us over in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 is one of my favorite verses. When life gets a hold of me and I start feeling bad about myself, I love to look over at Acts chapter 20 verse 24 when it says this, but none of these things move me. He's gone through a whole list of things. He's exhorted the elders, and he says to them, but none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus. And what is that ministry? To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Is everything that you do to testify to the gospel of the grace of your God? If you truly understand the doctrine of the first three. Chapters of Ephesians, everything that you do will be to the glory of the grace of that God that loved you that much. You see, so Paul, he expected us to live a consecrated life. Matter of fact, if you look at Paul, often we look and say, boy, he has an abnormal Christian walk, doesn't he? But you know, he really doesn't. Paul's walk should be the normal. See, Paul's walk should be our normal Christian walk. We're not to take Jesus and add him to our life. So many of us say, you know what? Sure would be nice to have a little bit of Jesus in my life. We try to take the life that we're living and see how we can fit Jesus in. We try to see how we can let him take over these certain things within our life that we can't seem to handle. Yet all the things that we like... And all the things that we think we can take care of, we don't want Jesus to be anywhere near them. How do I know? I guarantee you, if we could dump truth serum in you somehow and get you to get up and tell me the things you did yesterday, the same things you did yesterday that you had done days before, I would almost bet you that 50% of those things had nothing to do with Jesus. Even if they looked like from the outside they had something to do with Jesus, they were done from selfish motives, so therefore had nothing to do with Jesus. See, we don't like to be honest with ourselves. Do you? (laughs) You really don't. Do you really stop every now and then and go, you know what? (laughs) I've got to take an inventory of why I'm doing the things I'm doing. I've got to stop and really take an inventory of how I'm showing Jesus to the world. Do you ever read through the Bible and when you're reading you get so upset by what you just read because you just saw it paint a picture of how ungodly you are that you fall on your face before God and beg for his forgiveness? When's the last time that you fell before your God and said, God, I have no idea why you would be willing to forgive me of this in my life, but would you? When's the last time that you really looked at yourself through the lens of the Bible. When's the last time that you said, if God has really sent Jesus to take a hold of me, I'm not a real good example of what it means to be held on to by Jesus. You see, we're afraid somebody, our neighbor, our friend sitting in the pew, our Sunday school teacher, the pastor, we're afraid somebody's going to see us asking God for forgiveness. We're afraid somebody's going to look at us and go, I thought they had it all together. What are they doing down there at the altar? Do you know how stupid that is? Be honest, I really don't care what you think about me. I care what God thinks about me. And God says that if I'll just come to him and ask for forgiveness of my sins, he'll forgive me. Yet I'm going to hold on to a pew worried about what you think about me instead of coming to God and getting that forgiveness? Give me a rubber ball and put me in a round room. I've just lost my mind. You think about it. The God of the universe implores, tells you, that if you will come and fall on your face and humble yourself before him, ask for forgiveness, what will he do? Grant it. Yet you're scared that somebody within the walls of the church or a neighbor or a friend is going to see you do that. <laughs> I would dare say you're not living a life of consecration like Paul says we should. It says we're not to judge our Christian walk by those that sit around us. We're to judge our Christian walk by the yardstick of Jesus. We're not to look across the aisle and say, I'm doing as good as they are. I must be doing pretty good. Yeah, I read the Bible every day just like them. I must be doing real good. No, the yardstick is not me. The yardstick is not the person sitting in the pew next to you. The yardstick is the one who stretched his hands out on a cross and gave his life for you. Does your life look like his? If not, you're short. You're short. There's only one way for your life to look like his. It's for your life to be in his. It's for your life to be his. And that's what Paul is telling us when he says that your life should be a living life. This calling is not only logical, it is a living call that should be lived out daily in your life. That Acts twenty twenty four always pops to my mind when I think about what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be testifying, living out to this world what God did for us. It's humbling to think at times It doesn't seem like God's done anything for us by the way we live. now, does it? But he calls us to do just that. But he says it's not only just a logical calling. It's not only just a calling for living. As Paul demonstrated with his life, he was willing to give all of his life for this calling God had placed upon him. But he also tells us that it's a loving calling. Back in Ephesians chapter 4, we saw where he says, therefore, to Make us understand it's a logical call. And he says, I'm prisoner of the Lord, which let us know that it was a living calling. But then he uses this word that we probably don't use very often in our English language anymore. But I beseech you to walk worthy. Beseech. It's a word that, like I say, we probably don't use very often. But it's a word that gives you a thought process of of love. Loving something enough that you beg for it. That you beg for that. And I think about, as I talked with the kids this morning about John 3.16, where it says, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And He came into this world that you might be saved. And it was God's way of begging you to change. It was God's way of loving you through Himself. It tells us in Romans I think it's the fifth chapter or the eighth verse that while we were yet sinners, Christ crawled upon a cross and died for that sin. That's this picture of love. And what Paul was saying is understanding those things, understanding this love of God, understanding that doctrine. I've told you about that in the three chapters previous. I beg you to understand and apply it in your life. See that word, Seats there is this greek word that's parakaleo is the word and it's it's deeper than us just suggesting something it's deeper than us just saying this is important it goes along part of the word means to call near to bring near the other part of the word means to exhort or or entreat so you draw near to a person and exhort them to believe exhort them to take this message into their life you see this Word is really a picture of Paul begging without stopping that you would walk worthy. It's more than a suggestion. It's more than a hint. I see him on his knees saying, please, please, please understand what God did for you. And if you believe it, live like it. See, Paul loved the church. As we read in the list of things that he put as his infirmities and struggles, he listed his desire, his love for the church that was on him daily. And Paul loved the church so much that he wanted to give them this message. He said that if we believe the doctrine we have learned in the first three chapters, we should want others to also know about that. They say the church in America today is in decline. Do you know why the church in America today is in decline? It's because you don't believe the gospel. There's no other way around it. The church is fading because we don't believe the gospel. How can you have the greatest thing ever and not share it if you believed it? If you lived in a country where there was no water, no one could find clean water to drink, but you knew that you could drill a hole in the ground and make something called a well that they had never seen, and you could draw from that well the water to sustain the life of those who lived in that country, would you do it? Sure you would. Would you do it for the money they would give you? Probably not, because there probably wouldn't be any there. Would you do it for the glory? Well, what's the glory in a bunch of tribesmen or people in a foreign country being glad that you showed them how to drill a hole in the ground and extract water? No, you would do it because you looked at their condition and your heart was broke. And you knew you had the answer and you could solve their problem by giving them the answer. You would drill a hole in the ground and show them how to extract water because you didn't want them to die and perish from their lack of knowledge. With that said, I ask you, why is your neighbor dying and going to a place called hell when you know how to drill a hole in the ground and extract the water that is the living water that will give them life? You see, Paul, out of love for the church and for the people, said, I beseech you to take this message to the world. You don't do it with your mouth. You do it with your life. See, we should, with everything that we are, beg everyone that we know to come to Jesus. We should, with every breath that we breathe, with every action that we take, share the good news of our Savior, Jesus Christ. See, Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. If they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. What was Spurgeon saying? If you really love Jesus, you'll love the lost. If you really love the lost, you'll tell them about Jesus. To not tell them about Jesus proves two things. You don't love them. And you don't love Jesus. Why is the church in decline? Because we don't love Jesus. He gave his only son to die for you. To save you from a place called hell. You being here this morning as evidence, you believe that. When's the last time you told somebody about that Jesus? You see, Paul says that this calling on our life is a logical calling. It's a call for living and it's a call for loving and the last point it's a lofty call it's a very lofty call that we've been given we know that there in the first verse when he says walk worthy of the calling with which you were called walk worthy what are we begging people to do What is it that God is asking for us to do? What is this calling? I think first and foremost, what he's asking us to do and what he's asking us to share with others is that we live a life that is faithful. A life that is faithful. The word walk here is where we get that idea. See, he says walk and nowhere does he say stop and rest. Nowhere does he say run. Nowhere does he say pause. Nowhere does he say jog. He says, walk. He gives this idea of starting and continuing at a given pace. Not trying to be the first one there. Not stopping and resting because you give out. But walking steady towards the prize, towards the goal. He's not calling us, most importantly, to start and then stop. He's calling us not to do the minimum, but to do all. See, we need to realize God's not calling us to just a Sunday salvation. God's calling us to a daily salvation. He's not calling us just to give 10% of everything we have to him. He's not calling us to do all that we can do, believe it or not. See, God's calling us to give him everything. Everything. Because we believe, like Paul believes, that Jesus has latched a hold of us. That Jesus has taken us into Himself. And therefore, we no longer live unless we live for Him. See, we are to walk the walk no matter how long the road. We are to walk the walk no matter how big the storms. We are to be all in. Or else we're going to be all out. See, we are to judge the faithfulness of our walk by Jesus. When I think about Jesus' faithfulness, I think about John. John chapter 6. John chapter 6, he's gone through a message here with his disciples saying, I am the bread of life, in verse 35. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said that that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. He says in verse 38, for I have come down from heaven... To do whatever I want. Is that what your Bible said? I've come down to heaven to do what's best for those on earth. Is that what your Bible said? I've come down from heaven to make it easy on those living here. Is that what your Bible said? No, it says, I came down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus was fully God and fully man and humbled himself, was obedient to his Father. His only desire on the face of the earth, as always, is to do the will of the Father. Also, think about the end of his life. Luke 22 is one of those passages at the end of his life. It says in verse 41. And he has withdrawn himself from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and he prayed. You'll recognize this as being in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it says that he draws away and he falls down and prays. There's other places that that said that he prayed so earnestly that the sweat that fell from his brow was blood. That he prayed so earnestly to his father that he sweat blood. And it says here that In verse 42, he was saying as he prayed, Father, if it is your will, you take this cup from me. What was the cup? It's death. He says, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He said, Father, if there's any way possible, I really don't want to do this in my human form. I don't want to suffer. In my human form, it's more than I can stand. And you know, it wasn't even the death that was the problem. It was the fact that he knew that he was about to take your sin and mine upon his body. And for the first time ever in all of eternity, he would be separated from his father. We know that because the sky went dark. God turned his back on him on the cross because it was covered in sin and God couldn't be in the presence of sin. He knew that he was about to, for the first time, be out of fellowship with his Father, ever so brief as it may be. And it was more than he could stand. But he said, I'll do it if it's your will. Does he tell us that same thing? I think it's Luke chapter 11. Yes, as a matter of fact, it is. You find it in all the Gospels, but Luke chapter 11, here and in Matthew, it gives this. It says in verse 2, right after he's been asked, would you teach us how to pray? He says this to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, wonderful is your name, blessed is your name, your God. He says, your kingdom come, and he says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When's the last time you fell down on your face before God and said God your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven even if it means sending me to a cross, having me beaten, locking me away in prison having my friends think there's something weird about me because I'm so into Jesus. Having people in the church look at me when I get up and go to the altar and say, wonder what they did. When are you going to be willing to humble yourself before God and say, God, it's all about you. Let your will be done. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.